Hello, everybody. We are back with the Josh Thoughts official sports podcast. Today, we're talking about the opening weekend of the NFL. Going to touch on a couple of the games that went down and then, you know, some of my reactions and basically just go from there. You know, as many of you know who have listened to previous NFL episodes of the podcast before, I am an avid New England Patriots fan. So as you can imagine, I was not too pleased with what we saw on this NFL Week 1. Patriots opening up playing at Miami versus the Miami Dolphins. And realistically, so for those who haven't seen the game yet, who I'm not sure who that is or haven't seen the highlights, the Patriots ended up losing the game. Very disappointing, 7-20. to 20. Kind of a, you know... Dolphins kind of sputtering their way to victory, you know, didn't really look that great, but that's reflects worse on the Patriots who convincingly lost to a team that didn't look that great. Now, I think let's go positives and negatives on the game, just for some of the Patriots fans. If you are a Patriots fan, please don't overreact. We've always started off the seasons more slowly than we should, and kind of need time to work into form. But there were some things that were some legitimate troubling signs. You know, things in previous years, even though we may have struggled in a game like this, we still probably would have won. You know, during the Tom Brady times and that kind of 20-year run of, of unparalleled dominance that will never be repeated. But since we're kind of coming out of that, you know, what are the positives and negatives on the game? I think for positives, I would say our receivers... I think looked decent. Um, I think there was times where I was seeing separation. I think there was a good level of consistency with catches, not too many big drops um, in situations when the throws were executed well. And I also think the defense is a big positive takeaway. Now, for those who didn't see the game or don't remember, seven of the points Miami got were off a strip sack fumble return for a touchdown. So the defense wasn't on the field during those points. So if you take that away, the Patriots only allowed the Miami Dolphins a grand total of uh, 13 points during the game. The defense allowed that many points. And that's a really, really good number for an NFL game. Most NFL teams, you want to be scoring, you know, anywhere from 20 to 30 points. So I like to use those two metrics Um, as a fan. You can normally tell your team's good performance by, you know, how many points did you hold your opposition to? If you have a good defense, you want to hold the opposing team under 20 points. Basically, 20 to 30 is like a mediocre performance. If they score more than 30 on you, you're kind of getting shredded for the most part. Now, for offense, it's the same thing. You want to score at least 30 points in a game to feel very comfortable of your offense worked really well. If you score 20 to 30, that's like an okay performance. If you score less than 20, your offense performed very poorly. Now, these numbers are a little bit arbitrary and can be different because if you're playing in a running versus running team matchup, the game will be shorter because the clock will be running longer. You know, running plays don't end in a stoppage of the clock unless you, the running back goes out of bounds. And pass plays, not only do they have a greater chance of having more yards happen in less time, but also 
every incomplete pass will stop the clock. So teams that throw more against another team that throws a lot, those games have a tendency to score higher overall because the amount of possessions given to each team is increased. Um, and with running, it's it's the opposite. You know, when both teams are running the ball a lot, the clock drains down more quickly. There's less possession. So you have to kind of think about that as well. But for normal games, I find that it's a really good uh, rule to kind of stick by. So if you look at the Patriots-Dolphins game, the, the Dolphins scored 20 points. That's like the minimum of what you would hope your defense could give you. And then when you realize only 13 of those points were scored against the defense, well, that's really promising. You know, there was a couple sloppy moments by the defense that I believe if were cleaned up could have been a lot better. You know, the Patriots had two forced fumbles on the Dolphins that both went were on the sideline and the ball went out of bounds. That was kind of unfortunate, but that's just how the game shook out. There was a couple interceptions that were either dropped by Patriots players. There was one interception where Bryant came back and basically batted away an interception that McCourty had in the bag. I don't know if he didn't see him or if he just thought he wanted to try to pick it off. I, it was, it's hard to tell. I'm hoping he didn't see. Um, you know, I'm hoping he didn't see the other Patriots safety back there because if he did, you know, he basically just completely took the ball out of his hands. You know, Jason McCordy. So, you know, basically at the end of the day, um, the defense was pretty promising, honestly. The defense, I think, was decently promising. I don't know why I'm, like, having a weird, like, brain fart right now, unable to get these words out. Apologies for that little stint of um, me having no clue what I'm saying. But in any case, you know, the defense was decently encouraging. Um, we kind of pretty much contained Kyrie, Tyreek Hill. He had a couple good passes, went off a little bit. But, I mean, not much production and not much touchdowns out of Miami. Now, the offense is where, you know, when we talk about concerns, a couple, couple big concerns. Um, Mac Jones and deep balls bit of a concern at this point. I've watched him try to throw a lot of deep balls. When he throws it, the ball is high and arcing. That's not so bad, but it also gives more time for DBs to make up ground or get into position. A lot of the top quarterbacks in the game at this point throw very, very fast, very horizontal balls or have the ability to throw balls like that. You know, think of Brady, Mahomes, um, Josh Allen. When they want to throw the ball, you know, 50 yards, if it's a normal situation and they have and the guys open, they kind of throw the ball straight at them. Now, this is ridiculous because it's not an ability that many NFL players have had over time. But the NFL right now, there's probably, you know, a good six, seven, eight, maybe nine different quarterbacks who have the ability to throw really, really fast, really horizontally arcing balls. When I say horizontal, so it's kind of like if you imagine a circle, you could throw a ball like with a flight arc, a flight path of like a circle. You know, it kind of goes up, it gets to the point, and then it goes all the way down. But if you think of, you know, throwing something a little bit more forward than up, that's what I'm talking about, horizontal flight path. It, and the reason that's important is because the ball gets there quicker. It's not going as far 
up in the air and then it has to go down, it's going straight at the player. Um, there's downsides to this too. If you throw it too hard at the receivers, they can have a hard time catching it. Normally receivers will become acclimated to this though, you know, a la person like Aaron Rodgers is another great example. When he throws that ball on a rope and it goes straight at the guy, that is um, the kind of throw I'm talking about. With Mac Jones, he can make those kinds of throws with, you know, shorter and intermediate type passes. But for the long passes I've seen, he throws a long arcing ball that requires, you know, a lot more coordination because the throw is longer. It takes more time. That also invites bad things defensively, you know, a la the first time he threw the long ball, it ended up being deflected and intercepted. Admittedly, that was a pass interference on the defense that was not called. The announcer said that it was a pass interference on the defense that was not called. So realistically, we should have gotten the ball at the one-yard line on our first drive with the ability to, you know, get a touchdown. But regardless, there's always going to be little things that go against you in a game. And despite all the little things that went against the Patriots, you know, the ball was bouncing really well for Miami. You know, the the time they sacked Mac Jones, nobody, nobody gives Mac a heads up. Ball comes out, it bounces right into the guy's hands, running right into the end zone. That's, you know, that's luck. That's a ball bouncing your way. Same with the Patriots forcing two fumbles that both went out of bounds. Same with the Patriots deflecting uh, a, an interception away from your own safety, having a corner come over and deflect the interception when the safety was about to pick it. Those are kind of bad luck things. But within a game like this, if you're really above another team, even if you have a couple of these bad things, a couple things go the wrong way, you should still have a chance to win that game, and it should still be a close game. What this game showed to me is that the Patriots and the Miami Dolphins are very similarly matched teams. They have different things that are better than the other, but they also have different things that are worse than the other. I don't think either team... You know, I do think if we got to play this matchup again, the Patriots could win maybe four out of ten or five out of ten of these games. You know, the final scoreline I don't think was indicative of what was happening on the field necessarily. Um, but, you know, I think on the positive side, I think Mac looked better than Tua. I think Mac did more um, than Tua did in certain ways. I think Tua, a lot of ways, is being carried by other you know, team members that he has. And I think, unfortunately, Tua has better wide receivers, even though the Patriots are paying the most of any team in the league on wide receivers, Tua still has better wide receivers. So, you know, I guess when you look at, you know, some of the Miami's younger players, you could say, well, that's a mechanic of the Patriots not being as bad as the Dolphins were in previous years. So we don't have the draft position to take, you know, a Jalen Waddle or different guys like that. So, you know, but either way, um, positives and negatives. Now the offense, so I went over Mac Jones. Also the offensive line looked not good. This is a problem for a couple different reasons. If your offensive line isn't as good as your receiving core, then you end up having issues getting the ball to your receiving core due to your offensive line especially with these longer plays that develop and take more time, that's when you really get a benefit out of having a deep receiving core is when you're getting to your fourth and your fifth read on a play. 
Now, if you're only getting to read two and three every play, it takes away kind of how much your receiving core and your tight ends can actually help out the QB. Not to mention, you have to do things with the running backs and tight ends to make up for the bad offensive line, which makes other things harder on offense. Um, if the offensive line cannot get functioning as it was in the past, or at least to an acceptable level, um, this season might as well be over um, right now. I think if you want to be, I'm, you know, I'm a Patriots fan. I'm optimistic about the season. I'm hoping that Bill Belichick is going to make the requisite adjustments and go in a good direction moving forward. But I think if you want to be honest about the situation, um, Mac Jones is at best maybe the 15th or 16th best quarterback in the league at best. So there's 32 teams. That means I'm saying he's he's barely top half of the league if he is top half right now. Not saying he could not be better in the future. He could be incredible in the future. As we've seen with players like Tom Brady, when Tom Brady came into the league, he was not the best quarterback in the league. He was winning immediately because he had certain things about him that were elite, certain qualities. But as time went on, he turned into a much better, much more effective player um, over time. And even now, where I would say his skill sets have eroded to a certain degree, he's still right up there with a bunch of the other top guys because he still has those elite qualities and he still has really good skills. Some He can throw the ball better now than he could when he came into the league. I would say now the only things that suffer is, you know, his reaction time in certain instances, his, you know, being able to deal with interior pressure, different things like that. Those are a little bit worse, but he's still up there. Now, Mac Jones to this point has not shown that he has the capability to make throws like a Tom Brady. So that's one thing. You know, his arm is not as strong as a lot of the top guys in football. Not that that means he can't be great. Not that that means he can't be Drew Brees. But again, there's only been one Drew Brees. There's a lot of other stuff that goes into that if he wants to become a Drew Brees-esque player. You know, another thing about Drew Brees was he was paired with one of the best offensive minds in all of football, Sean Payton. Now, the Patriots have just let their best offensive mind go, leave the team to coach the Raiders and Josh McDaniels. This is another massive issue with the team. Those are the big three issues I have was Mac, some concerning signs because of his, you know, basically just, just looking at it honestly and, and say, you know, you see some of the other quarterbacks at the top of the game. He's not one of them. Now, he could turn into that in the future, but the fact of the matter is, if you don't have a quarterback that's top 10 or top 5, the entire rest of your team and the entire rest of your roster has to be elite, has to be incredible for you to even think about competing for a championship, a la the 49ers going to the championship versus the Chiefs with um, Jimmy Garoppolo. Jimmy Garoppolo was barely a top half of the league quarterback. At best, he was top, you know, 15, top 10 at best. And they didn't even win the Super Bowl. They just got there. And the only thing it took was one of the most dominant defenses in all of football, Kyle Shanahan on the offense, and a great, great offense and offensive formula. So, you know, when you're looking at all those advantages, 
And, you know, you're looking at they had a better defense than the Chiefs at every level. They had, you know, maybe not better wide receiving options, but basically on that same level. You know, you had Tyreek Hill and Kelsey on one side. Then on the other side, you had, you know, um, what's his name? I can't believe I'm forgetting this guy's name. All right, you know what? I'm not even going to get bent out of shape about it. Everybody knows the 49ers tight end who's absolutely – George Kittle, that's his name. So many freaking names and, and places going on up here. You'll have to forgive me for that awkward pause right there. But, um, you know, the 49ers had George Kittle, Debo Samuel, and other kind of, you know, emerging wide receiving talents with a better running game than Kansas City and a better offensive line than Kansas City. And Kansas City still wins because Mahomes transcended all of that and was able to make plays that Jimmy Garoppolo simply could not make. And that's basically the issue here when it comes to Mac Jones is it's not an immediate problem because he could have the ability to develop in the future. But as it appears now, he is not one of the top 10 quarterbacks in the National Football League. And I don't think he's close at the moment. So. Putting a pin in that, the offensive line is an issue because now, now again, having said that about Mac, everything else has to be really, really perfect if we want to compete for a championship with Mac right now. Um, the offensive line is not perfect. It looks sloppy. We switched our offensive blocking scheme, which I don't think was a good idea. You know, we switched off the scheme that we used for 20 years, doing incredible things, and we're not doing that anymore. So I don't necessarily love that. And just the general direction of the offense. You know, it's hard because when you have a situation where you have one of the greats, a.k.a. Josh McDaniels, coaching offense, and I know there's a million idiot Patriots fans out there who didn't like Josh McDaniels, didn't think he was good, criticizes play calls when they realistically have no clue what they're talking about. Um, what he has provided to this team has been massive and is is – a contribution that is on par with other Patriots legends, not necessarily at the Bill Belichick or Tom Brady level, but shades under that, just very, very close to that level of contribution. So at the end of the day, losing an offensive force like that from your team has serious implications. It has very serious implications. That kind of genius and that kind of brain power on offense needs to be replaced if you want to reach the same level. Our offense didn't look that good last year with Josh McDaniels, but I did think that he was doing certain things that I liked to try to get us into better positions. And Matt Patricia and Joe Judge as, you know, joint offensive coordinators, it just makes me wonder why we couldn't bring in an offensive coordinator for this team. I think that keeps coming back to me. In addition the failing to rehire Brian Flores after his failed stint as a head coach in Miami. I wouldn't even call it failed. I mean, he got fired, so hypothetically it's failed, but I think he did great things in Miami. Um, the Steelers now have him as their defensive coordinator instead of us, which is, I, I don't understand that. You know, the last time we had Brian Flores as our defensive coordinator, we won the Super Bowl. Um, with one of the most offensively challenged teams in Patriots history. 
and that was Super Bowl 53. Now, that team admittedly could run the ball very, very well, um, but we ran up against the defensive line and the Rams who were, who were able to prevent that decently effectively and force us into the pass game, which then is where we were incredibly challenged. So, you know, and again, you look at Tom Brady during those days. Everybody thought Tom Brady was done. Tom Brady was washed because he didn't have anybody to throw to. So he's out there and he can't do much, you know, because he's not going to add all these other things himself. He needs, you know, the receivers for him are his weapons in in a truer sense than a lot of other quarterbacks. Some quarterbacks themselves are the weapon. Tom Brady, the receivers are the weapon. He's only as good. It, he can only throw a ball as well as they can catch it in the sense of he can throw, you know, a line drive in somewhere at a very specific point. But if the receiver isn't coordinated enough to be there or they don't know the playbook well enough and they're not focused enough to get in the right position or whatever it might be that prevents them from catching that ball, it all goes back on Tom Brady. So everyone's thinking that Tom Brady's done, Tom Brady's finished. In reality, the dude just wasn't getting any help. Goes to Tampa, a team with a lot of great receivers, wins the Super Bowl the next year. And the Patriots have just been miring in mediocrity since he's left. So not a great, you know, not a great sign for Bill Belichick. And this is the chance for Bill as well to create a new regime in his image and do things the way he's always wanted to have to do them without compromise. And I guess I was hoping that he would have learned certain things and maybe incorporated that more into his game. Those things being, it is okay to let other people in. It is okay to bring Brian Flores back in and name him defensive coordinator and actually pay him a legitimate salary, unlike all the other coaches in New England. So these kind of things are very um, you know, frustrating as a fan because we're getting to this point now where all these different things are coming to fruition having all of our good coaches leave year after year because they're not getting enough recognition in the New England organization. Everything always gets attributed to Belichick or Kraft or whoever. It's viewed as a system with plug-in, plug-out, you know, parts and pieces. And, you know, we've lost our good coaches because we've been unwilling to promote them to financial positions of authority and give them titles. And by titles, I mean like job titles, like actually calling people coordinators. So in any case, it's, you know, we've, we've chosen to go into the year with a very depleted coaching staff. I don't know if this is because Bill is trying to prove something. I don't know if it's because he just loves to do all the work himself. And this is like more fun for him. And he doesn't care, you know, how good we actually do more than he cares about the process. But that's kind of the frustrating part as a, um, you know, as a Patriots fan at the moment. But in any case, if you're a fan of a different franchise and you're kind of reveling in the in the Patriots tears coming down at this point in time, I would say don't do that because your team will likely never have a run as good as those 20 years from 2001 until 2021 those 20 years of greatness unparalleled greatness remain uh, unbeaten and unbattered you know through time i mean it's it's an insane achievement insane feat 
And, um, you know, at the end of the day, that will always kind of live on in Patriots fans' hearts. And, and that's all a fan can ask for. Even if the Patriots are bad forever, I'm, I'm still going to be a fan, you know, bad forever after this or for a long time. Like, I'll, I'll still be a fan because I already kind of got, you know, my money's worth already. This is all just house money. You know, those six Super Bowls cannot be taken away. Um, and as a Tom Brady fan, I, I think about the ring he won in Tampa very fondly as well. So, you know, keeping that in mind, unless your team goes on an unparalleled run of dominance for 20 years, just don't don't really you know, try not to take chunks out of the Pats fans because that can always get thrown back in your face. Um, moving on to talk about, you know, other games in week one, you know, the Bills beating the Rams, setting a really high precedent for the Bills this season. You have the 49ers losing to the Bears. That I find very funny because Kyle Shanahan should have taken Justin Fields or Mac Jones, but instead took Trey Lance, which I think is a very suspicious draft selection. If you need to know why that pick was suspicious, look into Chris Sims unbuttoned and his work prior to that draft. Lance was a guy who had played, hadn't played football in a year and a half before a year and a half um, before the draft because of COVID situations. So the amount of time he actually played in college was very limited and he didn't really play at a very high level in college. So like, yes, his numbers looked good. Yes. His tape looked good. I'm sure he's a great guy and I'm sure he's very smart. Um, And his whole influence in the draft process, as much as I'm not saying he wasn't being genuine, but Everyone wants to say, you know, they're the best, they're this, they're that, and try to put themselves out there as a top prospect because even getting drafted can give you life-changing money. And he did a good job, you know, marketing himself. It's the 49ers' fault being in the position of power to actually analyze and understand this to where they traded all those first-round picks to go up and they picked him. When Fields right now looks way better, Mac Jones looks better to a degree. And uh, Trey Lance is, is struggling, and they're looking like they're about to be putting Jimmy G back in soon because losing to the Bears, that's yikes situation. So then we got Steelers-Bengals game was awesome. Um, went to OT. Steelers basically won because the Bengals' long snapper got injured. That was really interesting. Also, I think... When you look at, um, what's the Bengals kicker's name? Oh, I can't think of his name. He has a really interesting name. But I think this kind of brings to mind why for the kicking position, there's definitely, you know, there's something to be had for having flexibility. Um, you know, when the kicker, you know, all the missed kicks at the end of the game, the missed extra point to go to OT, all those other things were caused because of a rigidity to a certain process in kicking the ball. And I'm not saying that sticking to a rigid process isn't good. It is good to stick to that rigid process, especially, especially for longer kicks. But in a situation where you really don't have to kick it that far, like many of those kicks were very, very makeable. 
I mean, and not even for an NFL kicker, for like an actual just athletic person who has kicked on any level. Those kicks were very makeable, even though the ball wasn't in the correct orientation, even though the ball wasn't down at the correct time. It was clear that he was just going through his motion of kicking and everything else had to be set perfectly. He couldn't make an adjustment off that motion just to kind of side foot one of these balls in. It wouldn't look pretty. It would look like crap, but at least his team would have been able to walk away with the win. Um, and not all the kicks were like that because the ones that were farther away, I'm not going to say that kickers should have multiple forms for kicking balls that are 30 yards. I'm talking about for the extra points or the, the one extra point and the really close field goal. Like those are ones where you could side foot that and kick it in, even if you're kicking on the laces. But he was just going to kick it normal no matter what. And that was kind of caused basically a supply chain issue because the you know, the snapper was hurt. So the other snapper wasn't as good. So that delays the holder and the holder can't fix the orientation and yada, yada. Bengals lose an OT. Still had a really good performance, but um, there you have it for that. Looking at Browns beat the Panthers. Pretty funny that Jacoby Brissett was able to beat Baker Mayfield with his previous team. Um, When I didn't really think you know, Brissett was better than Mayfield. And maybe he isn't because the Browns do have a lot of other things about their team that are good. You know, mainly their running backs. Um, but regardless, kind of an interesting turnaround. Colts and the Texans tied. That's kind of weird and funny. Ravens beating the Jets. The Jets had to play Joe Flacco because Zach Wilson's injured. RIP, speedy recovery to uh, Zach Wilson. Then you have the Giants over the Titans. Very interesting. The Vikings over the Packers. That was a wow kind of a game, you know, and this just funny about the Packers. Like, honestly, this is everyone thinks your window is forever. Your window is not forever. Picking Jordan Love will forever haunt this franchise. And I'm pretty sure it cheated them out of their last shots at any kind of Super Bowls. They had a decent core together. You know, but you see, you let go of Darius Smith, and he's sacking Aaron Rodgers for the Vikings. You let go of these other receivers. They're off catching passes for other QBs. And um, Packers offense had lackluster wide receiver play and a lackluster offensive line. And, I mean, you know, put the put the same game through the test I talked about earlier. It was 7-23. to 23. So the Vikings scored 23 points. So you you look at that and you go, okay, not the best offensive performance. Would have liked to score another TD, get to 30. Um, but that's a mediocre offensive performance. The Green Bay Packers scored seven points. That's that's putrid. That's putrid. You got to at least get to 20. You got to at least get to 20. It's funny, too, because when you talk about these games, now that we're looking at them based on what I just said, a lot of these games have teams getting to the 20, 30, kind of around that. 20 to 30 point mark for a lot of their scores. Um, the teams that both scored under that, the games were more defensive struggles. The teams that both scored over that were more offensive, you know, showing off type games. But the Chiefs smashing the Cardinals, they look scary. Buccaneers beating the Cowboys, Dak gets injured, Wowzers. Um, Chargers over the Raiders, a little bit of a surprise there in certain aspects, but I guess, you know, the whole AFC West is so good. You never really know these days. 
And we got the Broncos and the Seahawks tonight. That's going to be a really interesting game. Can't wait to see the the outcome of that one. Um, basically, to wrap it up, you know, first week of the NFL seasons in the books. Personally, wasn't super happy with the refereeing. There were some calls I think were let go in the Patriots Dolphins game. I can't be sure for all the other games, like every single call. Obviously, I haven't watched every game, but overall, I did like how they weren't calling as much pass interference and things like that. I think that's the type of football I like watching a little bit more, where it's a little bit harder on offense to just do really, really well. However, that kind of revelation would be really, really shitty for the Patriots who have a ton of their money riding on wide receivers and tight ends right now. Um, And if these guys aren't going to be able to get calls for getting people interfering with them, it's going to be a big issue, especially because the Patriots wide receivers are all very big. So a lot of times big receiver, small DB, it's harder to get the call versus small receiver, bigger DB, it's easier for the receiver to get that call. Um, just because of how the situation looks to the referee. Um, In any case, you know, I'm not worried too much about the Patriots because even if this year is bad, you know, that's kind of what a lot of us were expecting as the season got closer to starting. Um, So, you know, and they, they have those 20 years there. It's in the bank. It's in the book. Like it's, it's, it's all house money now. And, um, you know, it's, it's one of those situations where, I'm just, you know, don't be, don't be sad. It's over. Be glad that it happened type of situation. I already told a lot of my friends and family that if the Patriots do really bad this year, we should have like a going away party for the 20 year dynasty. Kind of like a, not really like a funeral, more of like a celebration of life for those 20 years of unparalleled dominance that will never be repeated. But I love that all the games were super close. I love that the NFL's machine is working correctly to even everything out. And um, having said all that, I think I'm going to leave it right there, guys. I mean, NFL week one in the books, great freaking games to start off. And, um, you know, that'll be all for now. You know, I can't wait to see more games going into the future, different storylines, who's going to be good, who's going to be bad. You got legends of the game battling against these new, incredibly talented players who are just coming out of college. And um, I'm here for it. And if you're listening to this, I hope you're here for it too, because this is this is the awesomeness of the NFL. Despite the refing inconsistencies, um, you know, and I, and I will say with Week One, I didn't think it was as bad. I didn't notice multiple, multiple horrendous calls. I noticed certain missed calls. But that more reminds me of the standard they were setting in the early 2010s a lot of the time where it wasn't like, wasn't, you know, last year and the year before there were some wacky moments refereeing wise. This wasn't as bad as that. So off to a good start there. I'm going to leave it at that, guys. Can't wait for week two coming up. And I'll catch you guys later.